time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. and welcome. It's Christy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here and this is episode number 58 of our podcast where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton, but most importantly, we hug chickens every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? This is cup number, I'm not even telling, of chocolate salted caramel. It's yummy. So are you ready to drink some coffee and chat? I am. Let's do it. Let's do it. So how are you doing? This is our first episode of 2022. You're still singing. Singing till the end of time, man. (laughs) Know it. (laughs) Till the end of time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm never going to stop singing in the shower, doing chores. I do it, too. On the mic. Come on. Yeah, you do a lot more of that than I do. But yes, it was a nice holiday. It's 2022. Happy New Year to all of our friends. Happy New Year. All of our listeners. We have a lot of fantastic stuff planned for this year already. We are so excited for this year and for this podcast. We've got some really fantastic guests lined up for the next couple of months. Yes. Our future is so bright. We got to wear shades, man. No, we're just happy. 2022, it's going to be a great year. I'm a big fan of the even numbers. So this okay. is going to be our year. 2022. It's a lot of twos. Yeah. Two has always been my lucky number. Let's go to Vegas. There's a thought. <laughs> That's something we haven't done yet. The chicken ladies take Vegas. <laughs> that would be All crazy. right. All of our Nevada chicken peeps. Give us a yell. <laughs> yeah. So fresh new year, fresh new start. We're going to have both Dr. Rebecca and Fiona coming up in the next several weeks. What's new for you personally? What's new is it's January, so that means let's start looking at chickens and chicks. Right? I'm right there with you. Let's start looking through all of our breed spotlights and see what I could see in my flock. Yeah, I've been doing a bit of that, too. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Does that surprise you? I would have never known that. I know Pete is very interested in getting a couple of Buckeyes. Oh, yeah. He's been talking about that for a while. Yeah. I mean, they're beautiful chickens, and I think they are laid back, and I love the fact that they were developed by a woman. They're an all-American breed. I would like some more Brahmas. Yeah. We have to figure that out. I mean, you know I love the light Brahmas, but I love some of the other ones, too. Yeah. That's a decision right there. And I know there are two breeds, well, there are a lot of breeds on your possibilities, but two in particular that have held your interest lately. Oh, yeah. And they're little ones. They're little ones. Yep. We are all in with the Bantams right now. We are the Bantam ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Coffee with the Bantam ladies. Uh, yeah. The Sarama is a major contender for you. I love the Sarama, but there's other ones we won't speak of yet. That's what I've been doing is looking at different chicken breeds. Yes. But we do that every day of Absolutely. our lives. Yeah, that's our job. Mm-hmm. So that's no change. Best job in the world. Best job in the world. I want to say to all of our listeners, stay healthy out there. Oh, yeah. You know. It's kind of wild out there right now. We have just been basically hanging out, just you and I, Mm -hmm. our two families, because you can get sick so easily. Yeah. Just be careful. We've been in this basement in our studio forever, I feel like. Yeah. It's our safe place. It is. (laughs) Our underground chicken lady bunker down here with our microphones and all of our chickens. Oh, yeah. In January, I am thinking about chickens. I'm thinking about gardening. I have a couple of really cool writing projects going on right now. There were some projects that might be coming on Instagram Live. As everybody knows, Holly Ann is a master felter here. I'm not sure if I am, but thank you. (laughs) I mean, certainly I have been, I've been a fiber artist for a very long time. 
I am both a wet felter and needle felter. And we've had some requests for how to make needle felted birds and chickens. One is my cousin. Right. One is your cousin. Hi, Sarah. And so, yeah, we'll jump on live and you can watch how to make a needle felted chicken. That would be amazing. That would be fun. I am not crafty, so that would be You've fun to watch. You've never tried needle felting. How uh, do you know? I'll be like, I stuck my finger. Uh. If you pay attention and listen to your instructor, <laughs> you will not stick yourself. Honestly, I can even felt while drinking wine, so I think we can manage this. <laughs> okay. So why don't I go ahead and ask everybody a huge favor? If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for our show and helping us grow. And we love reading them. It means the world to us. It really does mean the world to us. The other things you can do to help support the podcast are visit our Etsy shop. You can check out our t-shirts on order. We're going to have some new merchandise coming in. With Keep your next, eyes open. Yeah, for some new designs. You can also visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. An enormous thank you to all of our patrons from around the world. Oh, yeah. Who have joined us on Patreon and are helping to support the show. We appreciate you. So much. So much. You can also share the podcast on social media, including your favorite episodes. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. You can get all the same great treats and feed with a fresh new look. Check out their new website. From now until the end of December, you can receive 20% off if you're a first-time buyer. We have a special discount code for our listeners. Coffee20 for 20% off your first purchase. Follow the link in our show notes. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEE20. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and the chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with these chicken teas. They are so soft and so cute. In the December box, I absolutely love the delicious smelling nesting box herbs and the adorable egg stamp. My favorite was the chicken coop charm bracelet. It was so adorable. And that chick soap. Oh, it's so cute. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. So now it's about that time for... Yeah! Breed Spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. It's a new year. It's a new breed spotlight. Okay. And it is... The Seabright. Here you go, Ella. This is for you. This is for you, Little Miss Ella DeCarlo. One of my favorites, and I think it's a favorite of a lot of people. I would say so. They're absolutely gorgeous chickens. And it's one of the little bantams. It is. So the Seabright is a bantam chicken that was developed in England in the late 1790s, early 1800s. So it's an older breed. It is. You often see 1810 or 1815 for the date for it. I mean, yeah. it was developing around that time. They're a true bantam breed with no large counterpart. So I just wanted to make sure everyone understands what the difference is. And sometimes I like to just come in and just make sure. Absolutely. True phantom breed means there are no large counterparts. It did not come from a large chicken. It was developed as only a bantam. Yes, exactly. And that makes them kind of rare. Yeah, they really are. There's not many true bantams. No, it is a small number. 
The seabrights are beautiful birds with either silver or gold laced feathers. They have a rose comb, ends in a point. They have large dark eyes and lead blue legs. Which they get from the Nankins. Yeah, they, they certainly could be a legacy from the Nankins, who are supposed to be one of the foundation breeds, as well as the Polish and the rose comb bantam. Yeah. I guess unless you did some extensive genetic testing, there's no way to know for sure. Yeah. But poultry historians commonly say these are three of the breeds that the Seabright was developed from. Now, here's a surprising thing. Mm -hmm. They currently are on the threatened Livestock Conservancy list. I think this is because they are largely ornamental showbirds. Could it be availability also? Surprisingly, they're not as hard to get your hands on as I thought. Okay. But yes, they're definitely showbirds. So you're not going to be getting them for large amounts of eggs. No, definitely not. No. <laughs> so like the Sarama and the Nankin that we just covered last month, seabrates are truly tiny birds. They are little. The U.S. standard calls for 20 to 22 ounce cockerels, while hens are about 18 to 20 ounces. Wow. So you're looking at less than two pounds yep. for both of them. Purse chickens. Yeah, pretty much. The seabrate is also remarkable for the fact that the males are hen feathered. I found that very interesting. You don't really look at these things that closely unless you're right. researching it. Exactly. And then you're like, wait a minute, let me go back and look at this little boy. Mm-hmm. And you notice there are no hackle feathers. Right. So they don't have hackle, saddle, wing bow, or even sickle tail feathers. None Nothing. of them. But you can still tell they're male. They're noticeably larger than the females, and they have large comb and waddles. They have the large comb and waddles, as all the boys do. And their body shapes are different, but the same. They look like each other a lot. They do. And it's the head that's different. It's the head, and the tails are almost the same. That sort of yes. upright tail. But when you see them side by side, they're clearly male and female. You can definitely see the difference. And they both share the deep chest. They have the wings pointed down and back, yeah. all of that. But the girls like to stick their chest out, too, which is more of a boy trait. I think that's a show bantam trait. That might be a show. Because you do see it in the Saramas, too. When I saw the little girls putting their chest out, I'm like, you go, girl. Yeah. You go. Like, they carry their balance up in their chest. The chest is out. The wings are back. Yeah. Yeah. But back to the hen feathering, they're one of only a few breeds that have this distinction. Yeah. I mean, it's rare. It is. So back to the development of the Seabright. Sir John Saunders Seabright, seventh baronet of the name, an English gentleman. He is generally credited with the creation of the breed. We've seen in a couple of places, though, including the writings of our old friend Edmund Dixon. Uh, him again? Yeah. Can't get rid of Edmund. If we're doing days. British breeds, he's one of the most thorough British poultry historians. He gets on my nerves, though. Because he doesn't like frizzles. <laughs> I know. So anyway, Edmund Dixon, he's one of many people who have hinted that maybe Sir John did not develop this breed alone. Sir John had a lot of help, but he gets all the credit, essentially. That's kind of how real life is sometimes. Sir John Seabright, he was a member of parliament. He was from a wealthy family. He had a lot of influence. I did a little extra research because Sir John kind of captured my imagination. Yeah. And he was around during what was my period of study when I was writing my thesis, right? which is late 18th, early 19th century England. So I went and did a little research on Sir John. He's fascinating. Like, I could write a book on him. He's so fascinating. Wow. Yeah. So in government and social circles, Sir John was known as grouchy, opinionated, vain, and very fond of the sound of his own voice. Sounds like a lot of people I know. (laughs) (laughs) But he was quite intelligent and essentially no one's fool. 
And he was of stature, so of course he's going to come in and take the credit. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean he, he was rolls. a wealthy gentleman. That's right. Yeah. You know, he had all the power. So the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection notes that Sir John Seabright spent 30 years working on the development of the Seabright. Even people who say he had a lot of help here, no one contends that he didn't put the work in because he did. Yeah. So the other thing Sir John did is he did a lot of things to keep the breed going. Yeah. The American Poultry Association also notes that Sir John founded what was probably the first specialty breed club, the Seabright Bantam Club. He founded that in 1815. Wow. And the club still exists in the UK. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. You can go to their website. It's the oldest breed club in the world. Most likely. Yeah. There's also a Seabright Club of America, obviously not as old, but we will link to both in the show notes, and they're both good sources for breeders Oh yeah, if you are looking to get your hands on some Seabrights. And just a fun little note, again, back to Edmund Dixon, in his best Victorian style, he writes about the Seabright cockerel calls him a self-important little fellow who dares to try his attentions on the great dames of the poultry world, <laughs> including Mrs. Dorking, Mrs. Cochin China, and Mrs. Melee. He thought he had it all. I'm sure the ladies didn't pay much attention to him, but he tried. <laughs> so the Seabright Bantam was accepted by the American Poultry Association and appeared in the first printing of the Standard of Perfection in 1874. That's awesome. They're included in the Rosecomb Bantam group. Well, they're all Rosecomb. Yeah. So. Along with the Rosecomb Nankins and several other types of older Bantam breeds. Now, we didn't bring up the fact that they're going to lay a white to cream egg and <laughs> they're not going to be great layers. Right. Let's no. See, just so that everybody knows. No, they really do have a reputation for being poor layers of very small white to cream colored eggs. Now, when we looked it up, this number is going to shock you. Give it to us. They lay 52 eggs a year. Which comes out to about an egg a week. It, one yeah. egg a week. Well, they certainly didn't get that from the Polish or the Nankin. No, they're both good layers. Yeah. So it got in there somehow. Now, their reputation is being <sighs> friendly and active. Right. And yeah, you're going to pay a little bit more for them. You're definitely going to pay a little bit more for them because they are considered ornamental or showbirds. I always don't like to use ornamental. I know, like, it's standard for saying it. But I always think, like, ornamental as, like, an object versus... You know, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And yeah. I, when people always say that about them, I don't know what it is. Like they're like, an ornament. Like yes. it, it almost, it takes them out of the realm of a living creature. Exactly. It, it does. It's, like, it objectifies them. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. I, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Part of me, like when I hear it, I'm like, really? You know what? 2022, we're officially striking ornamental, ornamental out of our terms. That's gone. We're going to okay. use showbirds. So they're popular showbirds. They wear headpieces. <laughs> You could name one Lola. She could dance in Vegas. She would have to be a gold lace, but you could name her Lola and dance in Vegas. She why do we have that show? Why do we have this Vegas theme happening? This where did this come from? I don't know. Chicken ladies in Vegas. Vegas with our apparently Seabrights. So yeah, as you said, they're not good layers. They go broody once in a while, but they certainly don't have the broodiness of say the Nankins. They're not really known for broody. That's in, for sure. In fact, the Livestock Conservancy notes that they're not necessarily an easy breed for beginners who want to breed chickens. Yeah, because they do lay so infrequently and they don't go broody so easily. And apparently the note is that the cockerels need warm temperatures to breed effectively. Right. I don't know if that's because they're such small body birds. Yeah. And you know, we have the same caution for them that we have for any of the other bantams. They are very, very heat hardy. They might need some supplemental heat in the winter. The rose comb is not as tall as a straight comb, but it can still get some severe frostbite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So 
If we had them, we would probably have cozy coop heater, cozy coop heater, panel heaters in there in case we need to keep the temperature above, say, 20 degrees. Yeah. I think this bird would be an excellent choice for a backyard chicken farmer who wants a few birds to be absolute pets. Yeah, I'd say so. Like companions. Companions. Maybe good for kids in 4-H who want to show. Yeah. Anybody who has an interest in showing chickens, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. their beauty is one that is The silver and the gold lacing is absolutely gorgeous. They really, really are a gorgeous bird. They They are. are. They remind me of a mini Wyandotte. I could see that, yeah. I think the lacing is supposed to have come from the Polish, but you're right. It is the same effect as the Wyandotte. Yeah, that's what they remind me of when I look at them. But they're known to be cuddlers. They're friendly. Mm -hmm. I think they definitely would be a good addition. If you already have a flock of chickens that are giving you eggs Mm -hmm. and you want more as a companion in addition to the flock, this would be a good bird. I agree with you. Where do we get them, Holly Ann? Well, you can start with the Livestock Conservancy Breeders Directory. If you're just looking for pet quality, most of the major hatcheries carry them. If somebody wants to order one of these from a hatchery, what are we going to get? You're going to get straight run. Okay. Day old straight run chicks. Yeah. So you have to be willing to potentially take a boy. You do. Mm-hmm. And know what you're going to do rooster about the plan. boy. Have a rooster plan. You can get them vaccinated against Merrick's, which is really great if you get them from a hatchery. Yeah. The other possibility is if you're looking to breed or you're looking to show, you want to join either or both the American Poultry Association and the American Bantam Association. Both of those organizations, when you join, send out what they call the yearbooks. Okay. And it lists ads by a bunch of the breeders of the different breeds. If you go through a breeder, you're going to be able to probably get a grow out or a pull it. I would assume so. I honestly don't know what the availability of adult Seabrights is, but I would think you're right, especially if they're looking for a particular show quality and they're willing to sell birds that don't make the cut as pets. Pet right, quality, right. yeah. It's worth asking anyway. It's worth a look into if you don't want a chance getting a boy. Right. So that is the absolutely drop-dead gorgeous Seabright Bantam. They really are really, I haven't even said that not once, but they're adorable and they're beautiful all in one. The laced feathers, I think, are just gorgeous. If you're not looking for a true Bantam, you can get the same effect with the Bantam Wyandotte. Yeah. But these birds are just special little chickens. They're just lovely. I love some of the accounts that have them on Instagram. And now Ella's following them. I know. Ella's crazy about the Seabrights. Every time one comes up, Uh she's like, there's another one. She loves them. That might be on our list. Uh-huh. I might so, have a couple of nankins if you're in the neighborhood. For- <laughs> you already told me you're giving me a basket full of nankin boys. Oh, I'm not getting rid of my boys. I love my boys. <laughs> They're not going anywhere. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Okay, so we're going to move on to our main topic. Yeah. Did you hear me? What? Huh? What? We're talking the chicken ear. (laughs) (laughs) The chicken ear. It is another complex and wonderful feature of the chicken anatomy. Oh, yes, it is. Do these birds ever cease to amaze you? (laughs) Never. Humans make the mistake of thinking the chicken is just this simple creature, but the truth is they've evolved with some fantastically useful stuff. Okay, so if you've listened to us from the beginning, we have gone along and talked about all these little amazing parts of the chicken. Right. 
And the ear is just another one on the list. It really is. The chicken's ears are small round openings. They're located on the sides of the head and they're usually covered by feathers. Yep. So you have to move this dense little mat of feathers back to see the ear. There actually is an opening there. There is a little hole for the ear. In the egg, the chick starts developing their ears on about the 12th day of incubation. Yep. Which is really cool. They can hear their mama. That's right. It's just special the way the mother hen and the baby can communicate through the shell. I oh, just yeah. love that. So we know on chickens, the earlobe is usually visible, except in breeds with really big crests. They have a lot of feathering on their head. You're yeah. really going to have to move those feathers away in order to see the little ear there. Yes. Earlobes vary in size and color according to the sex and breed. You've got bright red lobes, and you have the sometimes large white lobes for the continental and the Mediterranean yeah. breeds. Yeah. There's a myth that says you can tell what color eggs a chicken lays by looking at earlobe color, and we know this is not strictly true. Red earlobes usually lay brown eggs. Yeah. White usually lay white. Yes. But then we have those birds who have like half red and half white lobes. Yeah. And we know it isn't strictly true because silkies do not lay turquoise blue eggs. That would be awesome. It really would. And the various blue and green egg layers do not have blue and green earlobes. <laughs> that would be great, that too. That would be great. It's really the case for the white earlobes and the yeah. red earlobes. So the avian ear structure is much simpler than that of mammals. We have outer, middle, and inner ears, exactly. and we have what's referred to as an advanced spiral cochlea. Yep. Chickens also have inner, middle, and outer ears, but they have a curved cochlea that's simpler in form than the spiral. We also differ in the fact that as mammals, we can hear higher-pitched sounds than chickens. Well, they can hear lower frequencies that we can. It's kind of like the eye. It actually can see better than ours. It evolved differently, right. So scientists theorize that things with the lower frequency earthquakes, distant thunder, and even avalanches are audible to chickens while they don't register with us. Hey, there is a big myth that animals start running before people. Or and it could be disaster. because they hear low, lower frequencies, they right? They hear lower frequencies. And they always say they look for animals. And I think even when the tsunami hit and like, mm -hmm. was it 2004? They have records of chickens and all the livestock running way before. Getting out of Dodge, yeah. And the people had no clue what they were running. Right. For. Because we can't hear those lower pitch things until they become louder or the pitch changes. Yeah. So that's really interesting. You may have heard that chickens can repair their own eardrums to avoid deafness. I've heard that with the roosters. It's true of all chickens. Yeah. I wish I had that superpower. Right? It's kind of neat. We're going to do our best to break this down. It's kind of a scientific explanation. The reason that chickens have this ability is related to what are called hair cells in the ear. Yeah. And these hair cells are present in pretty much every animal with ears, including us. The hair cells help to move sound to the cochlea so that it reaches mm -hmm. the eardrum, but they work differently in humans and chickens. Basically, while our ears have evolved to hear those higher frequencies, it has also resulted in our inability to regenerate those damaged hair cells. Wait a minute. I have a question. Yep. This is why old men have lots of hair growing up. One has nothing to do with the other, but I should have anticipated that question. So chickens have kept the ability, and while they can't hear high frequencies like we can, the differences in their hair cells are what allows them to repair their hearing. Scientists are studying how the chicken ear, specifically the cochlea, right. functions. So according to a 2016 article on Stanford University's website, 
To combat human hearing loss, scientists have developed a method of using laser beams to get pictures of the inner ear of living chickens. Yeah, to see how it's working. Right. That gives them a view of exactly how those hair cells behave. Yeah. It turns out the chicken ears are finely tuned to different frequencies they hear and only pass on selective sounds to the auditory nerve. They're like, hey, that's not important to me. I don't need to hear this. Right, which is actually a bit more advanced than what we do. That's what I'm saying. The more that we look into all of these different mechanics of the chicken, we realize that they get the bad rap for, oh, the chickens are dumb, Mm -hmm. all this other stuff. The chickens are way higher complex than we even know. They really are. And they're kind of super efficient machines in some ways. I mean, it's fascinating that they can repair their own hearing. According to Stanford University, I'm reading a direct quote. The ability to distinguish between different frequency sounds is based upon tuning mechanisms inside bird hair cells, but it is based upon tuning mechanisms that lie outside on the hair cells in mammals. The goal is by understanding these variations and how different species of hair cells work will help us understand how hair cell regeneration occurs, and that would help them fight hearing loss in humans. But seriously, it really is fascinating the way chickens have evolved. Oh, yeah. Essentially, you could ask the question, did we all start with this ability and then humans lost it as we developed the ability to hear higher pitches? Yeah. Fascinating, really. Just think about it. The struggle that people have with hearing loss and the fact that the chicken can just be like, okay, I'm going to grow new hair cells. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. I can't hear well. Let me tell my left ear to grow some more stuff. Right. We're good. I don't know the mechanism that causes it to work, and I couldn't find that anywhere. I mean, that's pretty evolved and scientific. Frankly, I had to read a lot of these articles several times just to get it straight in my head. It is fairly complicated science, but we thought that part was fascinating. It's beyond fascinating. Back to the more practical things. Ear infections. Ear infections, right. They're possible, but they're not reported to be very common. And they're really hard to see. And here's the thing with an ear infection. You are going to see some discharge. Yes, if it's the external ear infection. Yes. So thinking about this, it stands to reason that as pet chickens receive more vet care, which we absolutely advocate for, the number of infections may rise just because they're being recognized and reported more now. Right. So that's a possibility. Causes can include mite infestations and bacterial infections. No doubt. And here's the other thing which you have to be looking out for. If they stay out in bad weather, like rain. Uh Uh-huh. That's going to create a moist, dark area for something to overgrow. An environment for something to, yeah. So depending on which part of the ear is infected, a chicken with an infected ear may present with swelling around the ear or that visible discharge. Yes. We found some images of it, and it's hard to miss. Yeah. I mean, it's really a visible swelling and visible stuff. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you'll see this with the very charming name of ear canker. That's lovely. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? And any of these can end up being very serious infections. They can cause neurological problems. They can be quite painful for your chicken. Yeah. When you have vertigo, it's all dealing with balance. It's the same way with the chicken. So that would be an inner ear problem. Yeah. That would be balance and moving of the head and Mm -hmm. looking around. That is a sign that there's something wrong with the chicken. Just because you can't see a big visible ear doesn't mean that they can't get it infected. So if I'm understanding this right, the visible stuff is generally outer ear infection, but the middle ear and the inner ear, you can't tell. You can sometimes, if you put an otoscope in there, you can see. Okay. Very tiny ones. Right. That you would use for a kitten or smaller. Okay. 
You don't want to be sticking anything in those ears. Yeah, I wouldn't No think cotton so. swabs, nothing mm-hmm. like that. If you notice any discharge around there, any head tilt, anything like that, right. that is a veterinarian issue. I mean, really, we recommend veterinary consultation ASAP. If that were be... our chickens, we would be calling our vet, Dr. Rebecca. Very quickly, right. It's not something to mess around with. No. Ear infections are not fun for anyone. I'm sure they're just as painful for a chicken. For sure. So the wonderful website, Poultry DVM, yes. has some excellent information about the different types of chicken ear infections. Yes, we should link that for sure. In the show notes, absolutely. We'll have that available in the show notes. So there you go. The chicken ear. Okay, so now it's about that time that we move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. This week we're doing a recipe that was suggested to us by a listener. Yes. And I apologize because I cannot find the listener's name. You know who you are. Thank you because this is a fantastic recipe. Oh, yeah. So we're doing pastina. Comfort food at its best. Italian comfort food at its best. I love me some Italian comfort food. Yeah. So pastina is a very simple Italian dish. It only uses a few ingredients, so the fresher the better. Oh, yeah. Which is where your egg comes in, right? Mm -hmm. So the pastina is a type of pasta. It's just a small piece of pasta. Don't mistake it for orzo or something. It's not shaped like rice. Right. It's a t- it's right just on. a tiny little pasta grain. Now, you can... I had to look into this because I can't find gluten-free pastina. That's crazy to me. But you can find other small pastas. You can find orzo, didalini, stellina, and anellini. Okay. I can find all of them in gluten-free. And you can make pastina with them. Yeah. Especially the orzo, which is the one I grabbed. It worked well, but it's not as fine as right. it is with the actual pastina pasta. So you need broth, eggs, butter, cheese, and the pastina. And that's really all you need for Amazing. this recipe. It's just completely simple. We liked it with a side of roasted vegetables. Absolutely oh, yeah. delicious. And of course, we did a gluten and dairy-free version. So some recipes call for cooking your pasta in water. Mm-hmm. Others use broth. We used a very nicely flavored veggie broth. You can use chicken broth. Yep. That would probably be delicious if you're a meat eater. Or you can do a mix. You can even do a half That's and true. Half. You could, yeah. So you cook your pasta in the broth for extra flavor. You drain it. If you're making a single serving, you only need one egg. Right. But, you know, you probably want four to six if you're making it for a family. Right. So you cook your pasta, you drain it, and then you add your lightly beaten eggs Stir it. Mm-hmm. You add butter, or I used Earth Balance mm-hmm. non dairy butter, cheese, whatever type of delicious cheese you want. You yeah. can use mozzarella. I actually used a dairy free mozzarella. Right. Anything that melts and is creamy and delicious, salt, pepper, or any other herbs you want to taste. And that's literally it. Yeah, the egg gets cooked in with the warm pasta. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a bit of carbonara. Yes. Obviously, it's not exactly the same. Exactly but, what it reminds me of. And it can take on really sophisticated flavors if you use good ingredients. Or if you add herbs. Yeah, that's true. What I thought was interesting is that apparently this is often used for toddlers. Yeah. I mean, I, and I get that. It's a great way to sneak in a protein with the egg. Yeah, that's true. That's the thing that's really great about this. Now, you want to make sure your pasta is piping hot right out. Sure. And then put your egg in. Right. And stir it and let that egg all cook up and with that pasta. It's delicious. It is delicious. I mean, it is that easy. And it's a dish where you can change the flavor. Yes. So you could add a little hot sauce if you like it spicy. You could. I do not myself, but Joe does. I don't either. I like this creamy and mild. Yeah. Um, But you could change the flavor distinctly by using different cheeses. Different cheeses. You could use parm. Right. Or mozzarella or both. Uh Uh-huh. Parmesan is going to give it a little bit of a sharper flavor. Like it's saltier. Yeah. 
It's a very quick dinner that's going to involve a protein and a starch. And if you put a vegetable, here's my thing that I would also do is add peas in with it. Because we do love peas. We I love ourselves some peas. Peas in here would be very good, wouldn't they? Yeah. I like the thought of that. Yeah. It's almost like an easier risotto. Yes. I mean, you're making your own sauce with right. the butter, eggs, and cheese. Yeah. And then you throw the peas in and there's your veggie and it's a one bowl dinner or even a one bowl lunch. This is another one of those recipes. I mean, it's been on my radar. You know, I've read about it over the years, but I've never made it. Yeah. Until we decided to do it for our cracking the eggs. And yeah. I'm like, Pastina, where have you been all my life? Exactly. You get all of your food groups in one bowl. And maybe something that'll get a picky eater, you know, kid, a picky eater going. They don't even know the eggs in there. Yeah. Really. They're like, it's just cheese and pasta. Yeah. Just cheese and pasta. <laughs> Butter, cheese and pasta. That's right. it. Try it. Let us know. Send us some messages. Tell us if you like it. Send some pics. We'd love to Sometimes see Sometimes simplicity is best. I love recipes that are five ingredients or less. Yeah. To me, I've talked about this on here multiple times. When you add too much, you don't taste anything because it overdoes everything. If you, Yeah. If you mix too much stuff in there, you're going to muddy the waters and you're going to yeah. lose all the good taste you started exactly. off with. Right. And sometimes something that's just simple. Mm-hmm. You get the really good taste of it. And that's what this is. And this is kind of amazing. If you got pullets in the spring, you probably still have bird's legs, so you're good to go. But with my good winter layers, they've started laying again by January for the most part. Yeah. So you've got some fresh eggs coming in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a great way to use them. Not a lot of extra cooking to use them. Right. If you're tired and you just want something good, this is a good recipe. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Try okay. it. You might like it. Okay. So let's move on to... Retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. This week's retail therapy. We're going vintage. Yes, we are. And it's inspired by something that I found probably like two months ago before Thanksgiving. We put it up on the gram. It's a soup tureen and it is like the piece of resistance. It really is. What you found is a large soup tureen in the shape of a hen and she's wearing a blue shawl. Absolutely adorable. So it's marked N.S. Gustin, the N.S. Gustin Company. So what we found is that Nelson Gustin of the N.S. Gustin Company later merged into L.A. Pottery. We started doing research on this piece because it's so awesome. Oh, it's so cute. And then it brought us into all of this, and we figured we would share it. So when this episode drops, I'm going to re-put her on the Absolutely, yeah. She is definitely a soup terrain. Definitely. She has the spoon included in her. Sometimes you'll see her called a cookie jar. Because apparently the Gustin Company and LA Pottery are famous for their cookie jars, which we'll get into in a minute. Yeah. So sometimes you see her labeled as a cookie jar. She is not a cookie jar. No. She is 100% a soup tureen. Mine did come with the original spoon, which I was very lucky to get. Yes. And it's one of those pieces you get and it's like... She's way too big to be a gravy boat. And with that label, she's definitely a soup tureen. And you gave me a gravy boat for my birthday. I did. And she does tower the gravy boat. She does, yeah. And the gravy boat's pretty big. It is. When I found that gravy boat, I knew it was too small to be a tureen, too big for a hen on the nest. But at that point, I hadn't figured out yet she was a gravy boat. Yeah. And she has the spot for the spoon. For the spoon. The spoon wasn't with her. Yeah. yeah. But you can see the difference. This one's definitely for soup. She's definitely bigger. Yeah. So again, Nelson Gustin of the NS Gustin Company worked with a lot of local potters to create, market, and sell handmade ceramics. Yes, he did. The N.S. Gustin Company of Los Angeles eventually morphed into the L.A. Pottery, and they made pottery from 1940 until about the 1980s. Now, the soup tureen we've looked up is mid-century. 
all of the Augustan and L.A. pottery stuff are very collectible vintage ceramics. Yeah. And when we started looking into it, we realized that they do dinnerware also. They do. They do. So as we said, they're famous for their cookie jars. Especially, they made this cookie cookie jar. Yeah. Or sometimes it's called the cookies all over jar. Yeah. And it was just a basic cookie jar with different cookies in relief all over the surface. Right. I mean, it's pretty cute, but it's considered... Highly collectible. Yeah, it really is. That's probably the best phrase. They also created a lot of animal-shaped cookie jars, including mice, cats, teddy bears, and ducks. But not chicken. I didn't see any chicken cookie jars at all. They probably are like... We got the piece in the, in the soup terrain. terrain. Yeah. Soup terrain. We're not going to redo this one. So like you were saying, they made a lot of dinnerware. So we're going to focus on an early dinnerware set that was produced by Gustav. Blue stipple. Exactly. It's really cute. It's a spongeware pattern. I remember the day I got her and I came home and I'm like looking at her marks. Uh-huh. And then I started looking it all up. Uh-huh. And I remember calling you and saying, there's dinnerware that goes along yeah. with this. Yeah. This is what we do. Right. We go vintage and then we dig until we figure out. We where did. It is. And we found out that the company produced this blue stipple rooster, mm-hmm. which is essentially a spongeware pattern. It's so cute. It features octagonal dinner plates, yep. which are unusual, really cool. And they have the blue stippled edges, like the spongeware edges. And basically, what's a primitive rooster on a fence? So cute. It's on very there. cute. Yeah. It coordinates really well with all the other Gustin stippleware. On my tureen, she's wearing a handkerchief, basically. She has, she has a kerchief over her head. Yeah, which is the blue stipple. Yeah. So she inspired the dinnerware. Yeah, she definitely coordinates with it perfectly. Yeah. There's also plain blue spongeware pieces, and there's a blue stipple duck piece. Yes, there and is. They all mix and match if you want to go that route. Yeah, you could do the chickens and the ducks, or you could do just the chickens. Which we're kind of focusing on just the chickens. But yeah, the, yeah. the duck is very cute. But we go all chickens. We do. <laughs> so there are some other pieces that go with the set that includes mixing bowls. Yes. There are salad dessert plates. There are pitchers. There are actually soup bowls. Yes. In the plain blue, we found candlesticks. We found more pitchers. We found more plates. There's a whole big thing that if you want to look into something that's chicken that you could collect, that's not through the roof expensive. Right. It's expensive. But not super expensive. If you're buying it online from a collector who has identified it, you're going to pay more. Definitely. But if you like the thrill of the hunt (laughs) in the thrift stores. And you know we do. You can slowly find pieces. And this is what I do. When I find something I like and it's half there, I continue to search. I look it up online. And when I'm like, okay, I'm done and I want certain pieces, I'll splurge. To complete the set, right? And usually it's like the pieces that you're not going to find anymore, like the butter dish or the gravy, gravy boat that I bought for your old curiosity shop yes. set. Yeah. I tracked that down because I knew you needed it. Yeah. I needed it. And that's how I am. I will probably, when I'm an old lady, have all these dinner sets that Me probably too. from the 40s and 50s. And the girls are going to be like, what the heck are we going to do with my all God, this? My God, Mom, you have so much china. Then they're going to be like, oh, my God, Anna Holly, you have way too much china. <laughs> they better like collecting the stuff. But they probably won't have to collect much because that's all I do. Because you have plenty of it. Yeah. So this is really cool. And the fact that it's still going. Yeah. You can find these pieces. I mean, yeah. we're currently in the thrill of the hunt stage. Where we're going to look for this in the wild. I always say, too, that a lot of the stuff is regional. Yeah. But it was so funny because our friend Trisha, she's Poppy's mom. Right. Trisha sent me a picture and said, look what I just found in the store. The same one. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And also the soup terrine has different 
Her kerchief can be yeah. different colors. There's one that's brown. I think there's one that's brown. There's the blue. And I think there's a floral. Oh, I would like to find I that floral think, one. I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. But, you know, what's fun is you find something you love, do the research on it, and then you're like, wow. Yeah. And then you find out there's way more. Right. And that this was created by one man. Yeah, the Nelson Gustin story is kind of interesting. There are some other very famous potters out there that worked with L.A. Pottery over the years, mm-hmm. sort of got their start there and branched out yeah. into mass producing their own designs. So it's an interesting piece of Americana. It's an interesting piece of mid-century history. Oh, yeah. It's interesting to me that during a time period that was quite modern and organic and focused on like the common people... They did something that's so country-looking. Yeah. Because this is very country-looking It's pottery. very country-looking for mid-century or early yeah. mid-century. Early mid-century, right. Uh-huh. It's very farmhouse. It is. And you weren't finding that in those days. No. So he was like Especially a man. Especially not in L.A. No, a man before his time. Yes, clearly. And he had it. And it's priceless even to this day. Uh-huh. And I found it in the wild. So I actually got a fantastic deal. You did. When we looked it up online, Mm -hmm. way, 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 way more. Yes. So those things are out there. They are, yeah. You have to look for them. It's the thrill of the hunt. And you found her. You weren't even really hunting. You were just making a stop through it. Yeah, making a stop through a store. I had a feeling. I was like. You're feeling lucky? I was feeling lucky. Feeling lucky. I knew there's going to be some chicken in here today. And I honestly found her on the fourth time around the the Isn't it funny how sometimes you do have to keep circling? She was all the way up top. And anybody who actually knows me knows I'm 5'1". I'm very short. Yeah. You make me look tall. (laughs) So... I walked that aisle was the fourth time uh-huh, and she yeah. was on a very high shelf and something on the fourth time around, I went, oh, there she was looking down at you. I think I made it to, to the car and took an instant picture yeah. and said, look what I just found. Yes. So that's one of those exciting finds. You will find them if you go to the thrift stores. That's our tip for you vintage hunters. Make more than one lap around. Oh, yeah. Look more than once. Yep. We always do. We always do. The first time around, you're not really seeing everything. Right. It takes at least two or three. I find most of the second or third pass. Yeah, yeah, I agree. For sure. If you have any good pottery, send us pictures. We'd love to see We'd it. love to see your chicken stuff, as always. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're spotlighting a very fascinating breed. This was another listener suggestion. Yes. We're going to be talking about the Breda. Yes. Our main topic is keel blister or keel blister abscess. We have some recent experience with Yes, us. we do. Our Crack in the Eggs is a really delicious sausage and apple pot pie. Woo! So good. Our retail therapy is green goo. Yay! We use it. It's good. It's good stuff, yeah. Okay. So what should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.